Hello and welcome to The Coping Toolbox, a child psychology podcast hosted by clinical psychologists Dr. Layla Din Osman, Dr. Mary Simmering McDonald, and Dr. Jennifer Rend. We hope that this podcast helps parents, children, and teens learn new coping skills in dealing with their stress and anxiety and to help strengthen relationships in their lives. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Coping Toolbox. I'm Dr. Jennifer Brend, and I'm joined by Dr. Phil Ritchie. Today, we're going to be discussing how to support a child who has experienced trauma. Dr. Phil Ritchie completed his PhD in psychology at Queen's University and did his postdoctoral internship at CHEO, the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario. He worked with the local school board for the next 17 years, where duties included being clinical lead of the Tragic Events Response Team. Dr. Phil worked at CHEO from 2008 until he retired in 2018. However, he continues to co-lead a group for bereaved parents through Roger Nielsen House. Dr. Phil volunteered for 12 years with the Ottawa Valley Critical Incident Stress Management Team, offering support to fire, paramedic, hospital emergency room, and police services following traumatic events. He worked with individuals following the crash of Swissair Flight 111, the OC Transpo shootings, as well as the Sri Lanka tsunami. Dr. Phil has consulted to the City of Ottawa and National Defence regarding disaster preparedness and response to critical incidents. He currently consults to the Ottawa Police Services Tactical Team Negotiators. I first met Dr. Phil when I was doing my internship at CHEO. He was known to be a very knowledgeable and caring supervisor with a good sense of humour. I'll never forget his talk about trauma back when I was an intern. He spoke in such an honest and genuine manner, and I think what stood out most in my mind was just how much he cared about the people he was helping. So I'm looking forward to Dr. Phil sharing his knowledge and experience with us. Thanks so much for joining us today, Dr. Phil. It is my pleasure, and I'm really uh, really happy to be able to, to talk with you this morning. Excellent. So as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about ways to help children who have experienced trauma. The focus of today's episode will be to provide our listeners with some general tips and ideas. It's important to recognize that many individuals who experience trauma will benefit from group or individual therapy provided by a professional. So Dr. Phil, in order to have this discussion, I think it's important to understand what a traumatic event is or perhaps what is trauma. So I thought maybe you can tell us a bit about how you might define trauma. Well, it's, it's, I, I quite like the question, including how I would define trauma, because I think each individual trauma is such a subjective experience, you know, that for some people, we find that what, what might be traumatic for, for some is not traumatic for others. So it's a very individual experience. Um, and um, one of the things that trauma does is maybe it's easier to talk about, you know, the effects of trauma than what is a trauma. I mean, we can, we can itemize, we can certainly talk about traumatic experiences, you know, the death of a caregiver, abusive uh, relationships, um, you know, sudden losses of other kinds, um, uh, motor vehicle accidents, for example, for some people are traumatic, even if nobody is seriously injured, like it really is a very subjective experience. Mm -hmm. And, and there's no, um, there's really no telling what will be traumatic for an individual until it's happened. Um, but there are certain things I, sh I should qualify that because there are obviously traumatic events that, that, that for, wouldn't be traumatic for anybody. You know, mass casualty uh, disasters, for example, those are traumatic for, I think, everybody uh, exposed to them. Um, whereas other things like, you know, 
uh, the death of a much loved pet or witnessing uh, a motor vehicle accident or experiencing a motor vehicle accident for some might be traumatic and for others it might not be. So it's really more the effect that, that would define it as trauma rather than the event itself. Right. So what would be some of those things then? How would we know, you know, if something has been experienced um, as traumatic to a person, what would be, what would we look for in that person? What would show that? Well, you know, I, I, I diagnostically as a psychologist, you know, we do look at, at whether or not someone might meet criteria for, for post-traumatic stress, but you don't have to meet those criteria to actually validate that someone has been traumatized. So you, you don't have to check all those boxes. Um, but oftentimes an experience where people felt that their, their well-being uh, or the well-being of those, uh, uh, those around them has been threatened um, uh, is certainly one of those things. People who re-experience trauma, sometimes it can be uh, through dreams, sometimes it can be through uh, like nightmares, obviously. Flashbacks can occur, things like that. And sometimes you see that kids uh, will recreate trauma in their play, but where they do it over and over and over and over again, and really can't, uh, get, they really get stuck in that kind of loop as well. Um, you know, you can see uh, exaggerated startle response. So, so if I hear a loud noise, um, you know, I, I, you know, I, I might jump uh, um, uh, I might normally jump in response to that, but if I'm jumping more, if I'm jumpier uh, in response to startled, uh, startling uh, uh, events, then probably that would be another indicator as well. Feeling a loss of security is something that we see. And I think when we, we talk about kids, you know, when you see them um, where they, they, they really are um, manifesting some insecurities on an ongoing basis or showing us in their behavior, uh, in what they talk about, maybe in how they play, all of those things, you know, that, that, that they're not feeling safe or secure might be an indication of trauma as well. Okay. And it sounds like some, like, you know, some, some shift in how they behave and how they act, right? Like it's sort of, it's not their norm, right? And everybody's unique That's and everyone's right. different, but all of a sudden you're seeing things come out that you hadn't seen before, right? A hundred percent. That's what we really look for. And I know as parents and as caregivers um, that 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 that's what you're going to be looking at is is are their daily routines somehow upended? They're well, you know, pre-pandemic, they're no longer able to go to school if they were going to school. Um, you know, that, that they're not playing with friends the, the way they might normally play with friends, their appetite, their sleep, their energy level, their focus and concentration. Um, maybe their ability, you know, on a really, a really simple way, their ability to not be in the same room as, as mom or dad or a caregiver, you know, where they're always, always having to be present with them, um, where you find them uh, regressing in their behavior and so they may have been toilet trained with younger kids um you know for for a year or more and all of a sudden they're wetting the bed or they're having some of those issues or maybe you're just noticing more tantrums uh less ability to cope um with things uh, i've had uh circumstances one uh you, you know where, where a teenage uh a, a, a teenage boy and this is going back many 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 years um, but a teenage boy who'd witnessed a traumatic event, a very traumatic event that involved the, you know, the, the death of a, a good friend of his, um, you know, that in the middle of the night, he got up and, and uh, you know, crawled into bed between his parents. And they were really concerned because this freaked them out. He was a teenager and, you know, about six foot five, I think. Uh, and, and, you know, and all of a sudden for that to happen in the middle of the night. And what I said is, you know, actually, that's a really reassuring sign in a way that in, in his distress, 
he's looking to connect with with his parents, which for teenagers is not always easy to do. Um, and, you know, and I thought it really reflected nicely on the relationship he had with his parents that he would do that. And yes, obviously, if it became a nightly occurrence, yeah, that, that's something to look at. But to, to instead of freaking out and kind of going, oh, my gosh, is he ever messed up? Recognize that. Isn't it wonderful that in a moment of need, he reached out to us in this way? Yeah, you know? that's a really nice way to frame it. The other thing I was thinking as you were talking is just um, how important the parent's perspective is, right? So sometimes as a psychologist, people bring their kids to us. Um, but really, and I'm sure you say the same thing, the parents are the experts, right? And they're the ones that will notice what's different. And especially when we're meeting the child for the first time, we don't know what differences in this child's behavior are, but the parents are. And often I find that the parents just have this kind of gut feeling like something's changed, something's a bit different. And sometimes they can't even label it. They just know something's different in their kid. Yeah. You know, and I was referencing uh, teenagers. And, and of course, it can be a really, um, it's already... <laughs> a time that can be, you know, fraught with, with, uh, with issues and challenges and things like that. And of course we worry, um, about, you know, the, the exposure to sex and drugs, if not rock and roll. Um, and, and, um, you know, and, and so you worry about if they're struggling, you know, what are they doing out there? Well, and that's where creating that, that kind of safe place for them to be at home if possible, um, uh, is so important, right? You know, and, and you want them to, uh, to be able to to express what's going on with them, but words are tough, and especially if it's you know that that if this is a really new it's uh, experience for them, um, then um, yeah, them having the words to explain what's going on it may be really tough, as it is with younger kids, and that's where those those uh, tuned in parents are so helpful. They notice things, and then you know giving them the language to ask the questions of their kids, I think, becomes really important. Excellent. So um, I was thinking maybe. Maybe we can, um, you could share a few points for caregivers to keep in mind when they're trying to support a child who's experienced trauma, um, and maybe just kind of briefly a couple of points, and then we'll talk about those in more detail. Uh, does that sound okay to you? Absolutely, absolutely. First thing I'd say is, as much as possible, don't freak out, right? That there's something called co-regulation, that if I'm talking to someone who's distressed, mm -hmm. Um, and I get distressed in response, it, it's going to snowball. You know, anybody with a sibling knows that, you know, if my brother punched me in the arm, um, I got to get even, right? And I'm going to punch him in the arm, except that what, what research shows is I'm going to punch him harder than he punched me, um, even though I think it's the same. He's going to register that and go, wait, that was harder than what he just did. I need to, I, I need to punch him back to get even. And, and you know, things escalate. And we can do that emotionally as well. Or we can kind of co-regulate, which is to stay calm in the face of this stressful event, right? And, you know, and, and in doing so, two things happen. One is it encourages the other person to stay calm. And at the same time, we're modeling some coping strategies for them really early on, right? So the first thing I would say to parents is um, stay calm. There'll be time to freak out later. You can do that, you know, when your kid's not, not around. And maybe, uh, you know, if you have a, a supportive significant other and, and you can have a conversation away uh, from your child later or, uh, you know, or else uh, somebody else, another um, person support, whatever it is. Um, but in the moment, if it's possible at all, please stay calm because that's really going to help your kid. 
The other thing we know is that our brains don't function really well when we're super stressed. And so if we can kind of, yeah, we take a few deep breaths and, and, and you know, manage our anxiety that way, um, we're going to be much more effective, uh, uh, generally speaking, but particularly in dealing with a child who may, uh, may have experienced something upsetting. Right. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, and I guess the other thing is that letting your child know that they're not alone is so important as well. You know, you can let them know, hey, you know, we're going to get through this together. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to pretend to have all the answers. You can say, I'm not sure how we're going to get through this together, but I know you're not going through this alone. And we are going to get through this together. Right. And and coming up with a bit of a plan there. Uh, the other thing is I go back in all kinds of ways. I call it the three R's of, of, of functioning, where I go back to routine, ritual, and ridiculous. Okay. Right. And when you're not sure what to do, First of all, routine. Routine is the grind that gets us through, uh, you, you know, that that I get up in the morning and I walk the dogs. Um, and, you know, while I'm walking the dogs, I know the coffee is is uh, is being made and everything else. And I, it, we have our routines and it kind of gets us through the grind. It also gives us a little bit of a sense of control in what can seem like a pretty frightening and un uncontrolled uh, uh, world that we're in, you know, things beyond our control. And so so sticking with routine can be really helpful as well. Um, ritual is is a bit more of that continuity. We feel part of, uh, of things when we can feel in some ways disconnected uh, from others because of a traumatic experience. Ritual allows us to remain connected in other ways. So if, rituals can be religious, but it can also be Friday night movie and a pizza, mm. you know? So if every Friday night, your family, uh, you know, or, or you and, and, and your child will sit and watch a movie and have pizza, then for goodness sake, you know, even if it's on a Friday that they're telling you about this, it's like, wow, yeah, you, you know, we're going to have some stuff to talk about. And, and you know, you don't want to stop <laughs> if they're telling you just before the movie starts. No, it's OK to skip the movie or to delay it. Um, uh, yeah, you know, but but yeah, it's still important to carry on with with rituals as well, because, again, a bit of predictability in an otherwise unpredictable world. And the third thing is the ridiculous, not in the moment, not when they're disclosing to you something traumatic has happened, obviously. But but, you know, as part of our ongoing coping, having moments of levity or laughter. Um, we know they're good for us. They help reduce, including, you know, research showing that, that it reduces cortisol, which is one of the stress uh, hormones that we secrete, you know, that having those good belly laughs uh, at something, not at someone's expense, but just enjoying a funny movie, a video or whatever it is, um, that can be really helpful as well. Excellent. Excellent. So um, I guess going from here, maybe um, the, the I'm, I'm thinking of the one, the first thing you mentioned, which was the don't freak out, right? And, um, you know, in certain situations, sometimes your child has gone through something traumatic that you haven't, um, which is hard enough to deal with. Other times you're going through something traumatic together um, or you've gone through something traumatic together. Um, so do you have any, and, and you kind of touched on this already, but but how how does one stay calm um, when they're going through something or or even, you know, even if they haven't experienced it, but even just your child, I mean, our children are so important to us, right? So even there's kind of like secondary trauma almost that's happening when something horrible happens to our kid. So So how do we work through that? So the first thing I'd say is don't wait until there's a trauma to start practicing, uh, you know, talking with your kid about managing stress, talking with your child about emotions, uh, talking with your child about coping strategies and things like that, you know, so we want to be um, a bit preventative or proactive in that regard. Um, I am a big fan of 
um, uh, of with kids, uh, teaching them about relaxation exercises, right? Um, doing some deep breathing, doing some mindfulness. There's some great programs out there for younger kids with mindfulness. Uh, Mind Masters is something that Chio uh, supports. Um, and it teaches kids about, um, you know, about mindfulness, about yoga, about breathing exercises, about deep muscle relaxation, things like that. Getting outdoors is really important. We know, again, that there's research to support the importance of, uh, in terms of just maintaining how we're doing, and it's been demonstrated to be um, effective in dealing with, with uh, uh, improving mood and, and anxiety concerns. Now, what I like to say is, yeah, getting outside, getting a little exercise or getting a little bit of fresh air, things like that makes things better. The research is clear on that. doesn't make things all better, but it makes things better. And that's important uh, to recognize as well. So some of those healthy practices to begin with. Um, I think uh, so that so that when there is a crisis or there is a traumatic event or something like that, that your child, it's not the first time that maybe they've done some breathing exercises. We're all going to have, you know, uh, stressful experiences. We're coming hopefully, uh, you know, towards the tail end of a pandemic, but, but all of us have, have experienced stress from that. And, and developing some strategies, it's never too late to develop coping strategies. Your child is going to be stressed. You're going to deal with stress. Uh, with stress. And so being able to, to practice, uh, you know, having some go-to strategies um, is a terrific thing. And then, and then just, just engaging in them, uh, using them, modeling them. Um, if you're not sure what to do, you know, uh, or the other thing, of course, is don't be shy about reaching out for support. Mm -hmm. We have helplines for kids. We have... Uh, helplines for adults as well. Um, and, um, and, and you may have friends, you may have professionals you're in touch with, uh, you know, there may be religious leaders that, that you find are supportive and helpful, whoever it is, your go-to people, teachers, schools, uh, again, when schools are open and functioning, um, schools are a really valuable resource as well, you know, so um, your family doctor can be helpful too. So don't feel like this is, there's a tendency that if something traumatic happens, especially if it's trauma that can come from within the family, um, that people don't want to talk about it, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, well, you know, don't tell people about this and everything. As soon as we do that, we make things worse. Right. Um, you know, now I'm a psychologist. I'm going to say that, you know, I've got skin in the game. I spend my lifetime talking to people um, about things that concern them. But the research is really clear that, that whenever, um, when something happens that um, even if it's embarrassing or shaming or something like that, it doesn't even have to be traumatic. But as soon as, we think, oh, I could never talk about that. Now, now we introduce stigma, yep. right? Yep. And um, and we want to really destigmatize these things, you know. And so, so saying, if you find that that, it, that this is something that I think I will consult a professional about, letting your child know, you know what? Sometimes when things are really, really tough, it's okay to talk to someone about that, and that's what we're going to do, you know. And so, so talking about things, getting them out, and if you need the help of somebody else, reach out. Yeah. Don't don't go through this alone. So that that really leads into the second thing that you mentioned, where helping your child to feel like they're not alone, right? And it's this modeling: not only is your child not alone, but even for you, you're not alone either, right? And so yeah. it's sort of that idea that you can reach out to friends, you can reach out to therapists, you can, you know, all of those sorts of things that you were talking about is is again modeling to your child that there's there's options there. You don't have to feel alone in this. Yeah, absolutely. So um, another thing I'm curious about, so just with your the kind of not, not wanting your child to feel alone, um, 
is getting your child to communicate, right? So you've kind of, there's, there's so many different ages and it's challenging for all sorts of different reasons at all different ages, right? But um, do you have any thoughts about um, how, how, what's the best way to help your child communicate and, and kind of get them communicating about whatever's going on in their mind? So I guess, I, again, I'll give a bit of a, a two-pronged response. One is proactively talking about emotions with our kids, right? Giving them the language of emotion. If I, if the only thing they see from me in terms of emotion um, is anger, oh, I, you know, I got really angry and swore at the driver in front of me or something like that, you know, like, that's not a great... Uh, I mean, it's it's fine to show our kids anger as long as we're responsible about it, right? We don't want to be abusive with it. We don't want to be uh, aggressive. We don't want to be uh, verbally aggressive, physically aggressive, things like that with with our anger. But it's absolutely 100% okay to be angry, mm -hmm. um, you know, and to express that to I'm really angry when, and there can even be some some edge to it. You know, it's a, I remember when my kids were little, my kids are older now, but when my kids were little, we weren't um, big shouters at our house. But, but, you know, if we were angry with our kids and we'd say, you know, you can't be doing that, often they'd go, don't shout at me, you know? And, and in fact, I, I think if you, you kind of measured the, the, the loudness of it all, the loudness hadn't changed, but there was an edge to it, right? So it's okay for our kids to hear anger as long as we own it. I'm angry when this happens, not you make me, not to blame someone else. So you model, again, it's about modeling things. Um, but also other emotions, like you know, I felt really nervous today. I had a I, I had a job interview, or I had to do an interview with someone at work, and I felt really nervous today. And and then the second part of that is to also introduce what you did about your emotions, right? I felt really angry today because this happened, and so I found I had to just go sit down for a minute and just think of some some positive things, or I had to tell them in a way that that if I thought I was going to say something that might not be good, I wrote them a letter, you know, or I wrote an email, but I didn't send it right away because I know that sometimes I can send it right away and then regret it. I wrote an email, but didn't send it. And that's one of the ways I dealt with my anger, right? I felt nervous today. So I, I went for a walk or I got out of the building at lunchtime today, or I, you know, you know, I did this. I talked to my sister. I talked to my brother, whatever it is that works for you. So you introduce the language of emotion right mm -hmm. and um and also how you manage those emotions so that's proactively um uh something that uh that you can do with your kids right right yep and and then um you know and in the moment when you have if if it's a difficult situation to talk about finding a way to make it easier and so one of the things that um, to introduce to your kids, again, talking about really traumatic events is it's okay to say, look, I need to take a break right now. This is too much. I can't talk about it. Um, with some kids and especially with younger kids, it can be like, well, draw me a picture or why don't we get out, you know, some toys and play with them and see if that makes it a little bit easier. Yeah. With older kids, one of the things that's really um uh, that's really uh helpful is if you have a car and you drive your kids places yep. one of the really cool things about that is one you have a captive audience and and it's only captive if they understand if i'm doing you a favor by driving you places um yeah you can't have your earbuds in uh, all the time and yep. be listening to music or whatever right well sometimes we'll talk 
Um, so you have a bit of a captive audience. But the nice thing about driving is we're not fit, sitting opposite each other, which can seem a bit intimidating or, or confrontational um, if we're face to face. When we're driving, we're both looking the same way. Right. And sometimes you can have some pretty cool discussions there um, as well, you know, and, yeah. and so creating those opportunities, if they're not able to use words. The other thing is, is that, you know, that there can be some, you know, some bottom lines here. Are you feeling safe? Because when we've been traumatized, one thing that's really jeopardized is our sense of safety. And when we look at trauma informed care, um, you know, and trauma informed care isn't just some fancy thing that that mental health professionals can practice. We can practice that in our families, you know, and it really is about emphasizing safety, uh, letting them know if there's going to be any changes in routine, if there's going to be, you know, if they're, <laughs> if they're jackhammering on the street, you might want to let them know there's going to be some loud noises, things like that. Um, and, and, and really reassure a lot of reassurance. And, and making sure that our conversations, again, it goes back to our remaining calm as part of that trauma-informed care, I think, yeah. um, as well. And, and then finally, you know, at, when, when you talk about safety, asking them, do you feel safe? And if not, what are some things that we can do to make you feel safer? Mm -hmm. If you're not able to talk about things, sometimes, you know, and, and when you're dealing with kids in crisis, sometimes you'll say, do we need a code word? Do you know, do you need to say, you know, a, a tomato, if, uh, if you're feeling unsafe. And it, it's, you know, if we can talk about things directly, that's preferable. But if your kid's really struggling with that, sometimes I have a hard time letting you know when I'm feeling unsafe, um, then having that, that kind of uh, uh, code that you can um, that you can use sometimes is helpful too. Yeah, I think as you were talking as well as thinking that uh, sometimes just being patient is so important too, right? So sometimes I just, you know, yeah, I have this with my own son where it's, you know, I just wanna know what's going on in that mind, right? And in your brain <laughs> and too much pressure to get them to talk can actually backfire, right? So more, I think just setting up those opportunities, like you were talking about the car rides, um, walks is another good one I find, you know, just getting outside, getting exercise. And, and, and what you said, I think is really important where you're not necessarily sitting down and you, you have the time, you know, arranged where we're going to talk about this and get it out, but more of these opportunities. And that's, I find like some of the best talks that I have with my son are those kind of spontaneous opportunities, right? So you're kind of, mm -hmm. you're allowing for them to happen and your child knows that you're there and that they can talk to you, but you're not kind of, you're not crying, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. The other thing that happens as parents is we always kind of, I, I think it's easy to go to a, a place where we're really, we assume the worst. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, something else I would say is to remain hopeful and to express that hope to your child. You know, mm -hmm. you're going to get through this or we're going to get through this together is a hopeful, optimistic, positive statement. It's also something quite genuinely, that even in the most traumatic of circumstances, I believe about people that they can get through these things. You know, people are tremendously resilient mm -hmm. and and uh, our kids, um, kids show uh, amazing resilience. Like one of the one of the most wonderful thing about working with kids, um, and you know this as well, is that, you know, in, in uh, times of real difficulty, sometimes they can really shine. Yeah. The other thing is, as parents, is to be reassured that, you know, that resilience doesn't come from a stress-free childhood, mm -hmm. you know, and that tendency or that desire, of course, we want to protect our kids from any stress and any hurt and things like that. But actually, resilience comes from moderate, predictable stressors that, that you know, they're able to, to, to work through. Um, you know, that's what makes them resilient. And then when there are these more difficult or traumatic events, you know, they have something to fall back on a little 
little bit there as well. You know, that's that, you know, you can say to them, you've been through other difficult things. Nothing as difficult as this, I know, but it's, you know, you are able to get through difficult stuff. And I know that if, if, if we work at this and maybe we need to involve somebody else, maybe we need a professional involved. Um, but I know if we do that, that we'll get through this as well. So that sense, sense of hope and optimism um, and belief in your child, mm -hmm. I think is really important. Mm -hmm. It really empowers them too, which I think is so important, that sort of empowerment, uh, especially during difficult times. Um, did you want to elaborate any more? I know you, the other point you had touched on was just the routines, um, sorry, routines, the ritual, and, and the ridiculous. Um, I think that's pretty straightforward, but was there any other points you wanted to make about that? Um, no. I, so, so one of the things you'll see in children is that you can see them working through uh, trauma or working through grief um, in bursts. And it can be really confusing for us as adults, right? Yeah. Where you're kind yep. of thinking, oh, this has been really tough. And so we're going to, you know, I know we're going to have a tough few weeks. Well, you might have a tough few weeks, but what you're going to find is, and this can be really confusing for us as parents, is, well, they seem to be doing fine, yep. you know, just yesterday, and then today they're falling apart again, you know, yep. and, or they seem to be doing fine five minutes ago, and now they're falling apart again, and five minutes later, they seem to be, be doing finding, fine again, mm -hmm. um, and especially with younger kids, we find that they, they'll go in bursts, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, you know, like, like, you'll see it, and then you won't, and, and it's, it's tempting to kind of go, oh, I guess it's all better now, no, it's not, it's coming and back, yep. you know, and that's okay. That's normal. Same thing as the regression I referenced yeah. earlier as well. That's a really normal response for kids to trauma. It, it, it's, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, a six foot five boy getting hopping into bed with their, his, his parents in the middle of the night, you know, or, or a younger child all of a sudden wetting the bed again or things like that. Don't freak out. This is, uh, it, it's not unusual at all. We just need to um, to support them in that moment. And one of the things we can do actually is to normalize it for the kids and kind of go, because they're as freaked out by this sometimes yeah. as, as the yeah. parents are, right? You know, and and so a little bit of, of normalizing goes a long way where you kind of go, it's okay, people go through this. What you don't want to normalize are sort of the more, more dangerous kinds of behaviors, especially you think again with, with adolescents. And you want to ask them, are you, you know, have you thought about hurting yourself if you're worried about that? I know parents, that's the toughest question I think we can ask our kids. Um, uh, but uh, I promise you're never going to put that idea in their head. You know, it's not like, oh, I hadn't thought of that, but that's a great idea. No, of course not. Um, and it's often a great relief to know, hey, you know, even if I'm not feeling that way, it's good to know that that's, that's on the table for discussion. And if it comes up, um, you know, it, and, and you, now I don't want you to... Uh, um, you know, start every day with that question either, you know, but I, I, have you thought about hurting yourself now? What about now? What about now? No, you know, and, and again, there's that, you know, giving that message that, that of hope and optimism that I know you can manage this, we'll manage it together, we'll get through this. Mm -hmm. yep. It may take a little bit of time. Yeah. So that leads into my next question, actually, Dr. Phil, where, when should parents think about getting professional help? What are some symptoms that, you know, maybe would be uh, some of the red flags or some of the things to look out for where you would suggest it'd be a good idea to get others involved? I think when you see an increase in risk-taking behavior, mm -hmm. uh, and that can be in younger kids as well, that they're just not, uh, uh, that, that, that they seem to be, um, 
you know, all of a sudden they're running into the street without looking both ways would be an example of a younger kid, uh, a, a risky behavior, things like that. Anything that jeopardizes somebody's safety immediately, you know, you want to get help um, with that kind of stuff. If you find that you've had those conversations, you know, you've talked to them about it, you've modeled some coping strategies, you've practiced some coping strategies, but you find that their, their normal routines continue to be upended, that's another time where you want to reach out. It's kind of like, okay, we've done our best here. It's time to, to uh, pull in some additional resources. Um, and that would be another time that I would suggest. Or if you see, uh, you know, or if you're getting reports from school, like from a teacher or from, you know, friends, parents and all of that, that really seem quite out of character for your child um, as well, that would be fine. And the other thing is, uh, you know, and I know that, that we don't have, uh, you know, that access to mental health services uh, for children can be hard to come by and sometimes can be expensive and things like that. But if you're able to access those services, mm -hmm. don't wait for there to be, you, you know, it's okay. We, we um, and again, I acknowledge I've got skin in the game. I'm a psychologist. Um, but, you know, we, we, we like to practice preventative physical medicine. You know, people go for, for a physical used to be every year. I know it doesn't happen like that anymore, but we can still go for a physical and not wait for there to be yeah. uh, an issue, you know? And in the same way, it's also okay to check in and say, hey, you know, what are some things, you know, and, and it might be individually or it might be uh, something like this, a podcast that you're listening to. It might be, uh, again, post-COVID attending a presentation. Yeah. Those kinds of things um, uh, can be really helpful as well, you know, and you don't have to wait for there to be trauma to, uh, or you don't have to wait for someone to be struggling before you kind of, you know, get some skills and, and uh, uh, um, acquire some knowledge. Yeah, just kind of checking in and uh, yeah, having the, the resources available. Um, the other thing I think, um, and I know we've mentioned it in other episodes, and you, you kind of um, highlighted this as well, is just, you know, when, when your child is, you know, the whatever is going on, the symptoms are really interfering with their day-to-day -day life, right? Their day-to-day -day activities, like you said, difficulty going to school, maybe no longer wanting to play sports that they used to play or play a musical instrument or things like that. So sort of that like big change in their day-to-day -day activities. Um, and then the other thing is just if the child really seems to need it, really distressed, really upset, um, and just, you know, you can always offer too. Would you like, you know, sometimes especially teenagers aren't as comfortable talking to their parents, but maybe they would be more comfortable talking to someone else. So just offering it up, I think can be really helpful. Um, I, uh, when I was uh, looking into doing this podcast, Dr. Phil, I came across a quote um, that I think you had actually posted at one point. Um, and the quote read, I am not a victim, no matter what I have been through, I'm still here. I have a history of victory. Um, and I really like this quote. Um, so I was thinking maybe before we wrap up today, we could talk a little bit about this quote um, and just how it might be relevant to our discussion today. Uh, do you have any thoughts about that? I, I'm always really cautious about defining myself uh, in any way. So calling myself a victim seems like a big label that 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 I'd be slapping. You can you, you can experience absolutely. We can be victimized by life mm -hmm. unquestionably. Um, it's just when we get stuck in that role that I really uh, I really become concerned. And and you know I mentioned earlier that resilience doesn't come from a stress free um, uh, a stress free. 
experience, it, it, it becomes, it comes from mastery over some challenges in life and, and trauma unquestionably, I don't want to expose anyone to trauma and I would never suggest, Oh, isn't it good for you? Or what doesn't kill you makes you stronger or something like that. No, these, these are awful things. We, 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 we want to uh, limit trauma in people's lives because we know it can have an impact um, on how they're doing. Um, but also those who've been through trauma, there are some wonderful stories of people who, who have come from very traumatic experiences and really used it um, as part of a part of their growth. They develop skills in response to that. You know, the um, one of the things that happens is the ability to, to there's a different perspective that comes from, from being a survivor rather than a victim, you know, and, and, um, and, you know, I'll give you a really simple example. So um, I, 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 I'm fairly calm by nature, but I'm also human. And, 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 you know, we have a whole range of emotions and everything else. Um, recently, I'd made a, I, I like to cook and I like to bake. I'd made pizza from scratch and, 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 you know, including the dough and everything else. And just before I was I, I thought it was a little bit undercooked, and just before uh, it was it was to be served, I thought, oh, I, I'll put it back in the oven uh, just for a couple more minutes. And there was someone who was kindly helping me with this. And when I put the pizza on the tray, um, uh, that person's wrist gave out, and the pizza fell, you know, face down on the floor. And so I I I, I didn't raise my voice, but but uh, I probably used a word I wouldn't want to use, uh, uh, you know, in front of small children or my mother. Um, and so, and I realized, no, I just need to take a little, I just need to take a moment here. Right. And I sat outside and I thought about, you know, there are people in this world who are really having a bad day and trauma uh, is an example of that, you know, that, that, um, uh, yeah, that trauma is, that, that was not trauma. Dropping the pizza face down on the floor was not trauma. Right. Um, and I had to just sit quietly and kind of yep, regroup and, and take a few deep breaths and everything else and then walk back in with a smile and acknowledge that, yeah, there are the, if this is the worst thing that happens today, well, that isn't it a great day, mm -hmm. you know? And so you get that perspective when you've been through difficulties and you've managed them, you actually can use that perspective and kind of go, you know what? Yeah, I'm frustrated in this moment. Of course, I'm frustrated um, and uh, at everything else. And if this is the worst thing that happens today, what a great day it'll be, mm -hmm. you know? And trauma gives you that perspective. You don't say that in response to trauma. When something traumatic has happened, you, you go, well, <laughs> this probably is the worst thing that's going to happen today. And it's a really crappy day because of that. That's fair too, you know? But, but those other days, you do get that perspective that, yeah, this is not as bad as other people might make it out to be. Yeah. And so, um, you know, and that to me is part of that, that uh, uh, you know, surviving, having been victimized, but not remaining a victim. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just, yeah, it's interesting, you know, when I, when I think about, um, yeah, I've, I've seen, and, and oh, especially what you've seen, right? And, you know, some of the strongest people I know have been through such difficult times. Um, and uh, it's, it's, you know, they just, they have a wealth of knowledge and, and the way they're able to communicate and talk and, and um, you know, show, show their strength. And what's really interesting is a lot of those people also can talk about their pain and their difficulties, right? So it's not to say that you're not, you never experience the emotions and the pain and all of the hardships, that's there too, but those hardships do kind of create that, that strength in these individuals. 
Yeah. You know, the other thing that we should probably do is also normalize that in the course of our lives, almost all of us will experience some form of trauma or other, mm -hmm. you know, and, and there are more extreme kinds of trauma. Trauma can be cumulative. People have re experienced repeated trauma or multiple uh, traumatic events that, 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 you know, that takes on um, that that's more challenging to deal with. And, and I would say again, you know, if you, uh, if your kid's exposed to something truly traumatic, why wait, you know, reach out to somebody, talk to someone about it. And they may just say, Hey, this is what to watch for. And, and, you know, check in with me, uh, if you, if you feel that need, but it sounds like you're on the right track. And it might just be that kind of, um, validation, you know, for parents or caregivers and, in, in how they're managing things. Um, but yeah, don't feel like you should go through this alone, but also don't, don't pathologize that somehow people who've experienced trauma are different than, than everybody else. And, and, um, you know, I work with a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, adults these days who have PTSD and I like to explain to them, PTSD is not what's wrong with you. It's what's happened to you. Mm -hmm. And so don't, don't, don't all of a sudden see your child or yourself as broken right. uh, and unfixable as a result of the trauma, you know, but acknowledge that, yeah, it does have an impact and, and we're going to work on getting back on track here. Right. Right. Well, um, whenever we wrap up one of our episodes, one of the things we like to do is ask our guests if they have sort of a few takeaways, maybe two or three takeaways from this episode. Um, based on what we've talked about today, Dr. Phil, what would you say would be a few of the takeaways you'd like to leave our listeners with? Um, the first is, is don't freak out. You know, yeah. like as much as possible don't freak out um it's uh, it, it's not going to help you manage and it's not going to help your child manage and if they can see you remaining uh, calm in the face of their struggles i think that that's really reassuring uh and particularly give that message that uh, the message of hope mm -hmm. we're going to get through this and use that that collective we because that really reinforces to your yeah. kid that they're not alone in this right right um, anything else before uh, before we wrap up today, Dr. Phil? Um, do you know what I would say? I will say one other thing. That uh, if you become aware that trauma has happened to somebody else, whether it's an adult or, or a friend's child or something like that, check in with them and let them know, hey, you know, uh, I'm here for you. Uh, I'm not going to judge. And if you want me to, you know, if you want my kid to have a play date with your kid, um, great. Let's do that if that's helpful yep. for you. Um, if if uh, if you need a break and uh, you know you need you know you need to drop your kid off, whatever, uh, you know that's fine as well. Um, and I'm going to just keep checking in because what we tend to do is we say to people who've been through a difficult experience, "Hey, if there's anything I can do." just let me know. Mm -hmm. Well, that puts the onus yep. on someone who's already probably feeling fragile and may also be worried that they're being really needy in their relationship with others and everything else. Um, uh, you know, we kind of put the, the responsibility on them. I kind of be a bit of a bug and just say, you know, just let, I, I'm checking to see if there's anything I can do for you today. And if not, I want you to know, I'm going to keep checking in with you every week or so and just see if there's anything I can do. So be that be that good friend, that good support, that uh, non-judgmental listener, um, you know, for those around you, I guess would be the other thing I would add. I really, I really like that one, Dr. Phil. Um, and it reminds me, I know in during difficult times, one of the things I've had uh, one friend in particular who has left messages that just say, I'm just checking in. If you need anything, I'm here. 
no need to respond. And even that no need to respond, because sometimes you do feel really overwhelmed and you're, you know, lots of people want to help, but you're just, you're feeling like you have to respond to all those people. So just that knowing people are there if you need them, but there's no need to like have to respond and thank them, right? Because you are feeling quite desperate in those times. So, well, um, Dr. Phil, I really appreciate your time today and all of the information you've shared with us um, and all of the important work you've done too. We're really lucky to have you here in our community. Um, So thank you so much for being with us today. Um, I really appreciate that. And as always, a huge thank you to all of our listeners. Yeah, well, thank you, Jen. And and it is so, I have to tell you that, you know, as someone who's, uh, I know you met me when when I was supervising residents way back when you you were a resident and everything else. Uh, It's very encouraging for those of us, uh, you know, who are getting ready to pass on the baton Uh, to know that there are people like you and your colleagues out there that uh, are are taking care of people. So thank you for what you're doing as well. Oh, thank you.